He's Aaron. She's Elizabeth. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea, idea, where we take two different perspectives, or sometimes four different perspectives, on pop culture, media in general, all that good nonsense. You know the drill. No need to harp on about it. We have two guests in studio today. But we do have to harp on the, the plugs real quick, because we always forget those. All right. Okay. Well, let's do the plugs first. You can follow us on Facebook at Married to the Idea, Twitter at Married Number Two The Idea, email us at Married to the Idea Reviews at gmail.com, or if you forget any of those, stop by our website, Married to the Idea dot Weebly dot com, and all the links are up there. Let's also have our guests introduce their own plugs in case they have some things they're working on that they want to share too. We have two wonderful guests because with the movie we are reviewing today, we need a whole host of suspects. I mean, guests. First, you may recognize him from his previous stint on this podcast, and as one of the four co-hosts of Talk Blindly, it's Jonathan Hash. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I think I've been on one other show uh, that you guys did when we talked about Air Force One, so um, is, are you guys in your second season of podcasting, or is this still season one? This is still technically season one. Okay. I think we'll, we'll I didn't know they had seasons or whatever. Anyway, I'm here. Um, I don't have any plugs. I just got a bunch of ideas. Uh, I have Facebook, um, and sometimes I do Instagram. Cool. <laughs> cool. Facebook, sometimes Instagram. All right. With us as our fourth special guest is a brand new newcomer to our podcast, and possibly to the world of podcasting in general. His name's Michael Cheatham. Hi, yeah, this is uh, my first podcast ever, so I do not really have anything to plug. I've we listened are, a lot, but never so been in one. We are so honored. Plug your wife's business. Oh, yeah, a good there you one. go. My, my wife and I run an Etsy business, the Apothecary B. Awesome sauce. Yeah, and last... we can find you on Etsy. On Etsy, yeah. yes. there we go. Yeah, we uh, last time we recorded, we plugged my first novel endlessly. So yes, you are allowed to plug the business oh, absolutely. Right. When we say plugs, that's what we mean. You mean <laughs> Colorblind? Yeah, Colorblind by Elizabeth Kidder. Oh, you're too sweet. Available Jonathan. on Amazon. <gasps> that's the one. <laughs> okay, okay. Enough about me. We I could go on for the next three hours, but let's actually talk about the movie we're going to discuss, which is Murder on the Orient Express, based on the novel by Agatha Christie. It is a murder mystery that takes place aboard a train where everyone could be a suspect. I think we need to decide right up front, are we going to do spoilers or not for can a book that's over six decades old? I think we can do spoilers, but I think we need to hold off for a little bit. Okay. So people will... can listen to half of it. If yeah, they, they were like, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, actually do it. Yeah, we'll try to like, we'll say like, okay... From here on out, spoilers. I really so want to make a gonna, little... Not yet, but soon. I want to make a sound clip that's just like a Vuvuzuela blailing, this is a spoiler, to like insert right before something happens so I don't have to remember it every time. But either which way, let's start with just a general feel of everyone's... General feel? A general feel of everyone's familiarity with the story and what they or initial thoughts were on the movie. Aaron, would you like to go first? <laughs> Well, uh, I knew it was a murder mystery that happened on a train, uh, and that it was by Agatha Christie, and uh, that's probably about it. I didn't know much, and I and I did that on purpose, that I didn't know too terribly much going into it. I similarly was offered the chance to read the book before watching it, but I wanted to be surprised. I, I when I see a magician act or a movie with a mystery... I do not like to see behind the curtain. I don't want to know how you did it. It's much more fun for you to pull me into your web and be like, oh, the reveal's so dramatic. So for me, it was a lot of fun to watch it with no 
have preconceived notions, except that I knew that every person in Hollywood was in it. So that was cool. <laughs> well, um, I had seen the 1970-something version. And um, I had watched it about 10 years ago for a film studies class. And um, I was just like, wow, I never saw the ending coming. And so that's why I was like this. I originally told Aaron when I saw a preview for it. Um, I think we were um, watching like. Um, it had to be a Marvel movie. It had to be a Marvel movie. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, was it as early as Doctor Strange? I don't know. Before movie passed, all we could see were Marvel but, movies. That's all we could afford it, to see. It's not been, a, I don't believe it's been a full year, but it's been more than a couple well, months. As soon as I saw a trailer for it, I told Aaron, I was like, I got to see this movie with you because it's got so many actors. Also, this is one of the best murder mysteries of all time. And it's because it's classic. And uh, people here, well, Murder on the Train's not really a uh, um, an original idea. Well, Actually, it kind of is, because this is the original idea. It's just rebooted like all the other original ideas. So um, so I was just like, I really want to see this movie with you. I think you like it, because I know Aaron enjoys a good mystery and uh, probably um, was probably doing his own detective work uh, while he watched the movie. I could tell. I'd look over out the corner of my eye, and he'd have his fingers steepled up to his face in quiet contemplation, puzzling and deducing it all out. No, that's totally not me at all. I should have taken a picture. Picture didn't happen. So, Michael, uh, sorry. Um, so anyway, um, uh, I don't even know where I was anymore. Um, so I was just like, I just want to see this movie with you. So I um, kind of wanted to talk to him throughout the movie and be like, oh, what, what do you think? Who do you think did it? Because I, no, I mean, I saw it years ago. Um, already knew how it was going to end and kind of just was looking for uh, differences, which um, probably should have rewatched the movie. Um, so I'd be a little more up to date, but, um, uh, I'll save it for later because it, it, I wouldn't say it's a spoiler, but yeah, it kind of is, uh, now that I think about it. So anyway, um, that's my thoughts. Alright. Uh, yeah, um, I think the most I knew about Agatha Christie was probably from that Doctor Who episode that I watched a long time ago, <laughs> so I was not very familiar with the plot coming in either. Um. Which episode was that? The, the, one where the she's, Unicorn and the Wasp, I believe is what it's called. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an episode featuring her, not like one of her stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. sorry. But, um, yeah, so I definitely came in pretty much blind like Aaron and Liz did, and I, I, I liked it that way also. It really, I think, helps the movie shine if you don't know what's going to come. Well, there's also uh, the Doctor Who episode Mummy on the Orient Express, uh, where they're in space, and there's a murderous mummy on the loose. and But that's with uh, Capaldi, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. The, that one I definitely, I've only seen a has, bit of. I don't think it has anything to do with murder on the Orient Express. But... <laughs> no, it's completely different plot. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a good pun. Just, just stole the title. There's a murderous mummy. <laughs> good puns all about. Um, I think the first thing that I would want to bring up is this is a Kenneth Branagh film, and it shows that every conceivable notion, his directorial style is all over this thing him being in the movie of course he's i think he's one of the best directors who's been able to insert himself into his own movies without its detriment this is no Shyamalan. so what are what are some other kenneth ronald movies <clears throat> thor um, he directed thor the live action remake of cinderella for all of its faults but what it does to the plot and the characters it is shot beautifully the man knows his color theory he uh, everything glitzes and glimmers if i remember correctly he directed the movie adaptation it wasn't hamlet it was one of another shakespeare things because it was back when yep. you're still either dating or with emma thompson 
um, and he directed it, and he was the main character, kind of like uh, with Murder on the Orient Express, but a little bit more pretentious because he, it was it's Shakespeare, but at the same time, you know, with it being Agatha Christie, Murder on the Orient Express, him being Perot, it's a very specific character. So well, she's written from the perspective of him many a time. He's like her go-to. Yeah. For solving mysteries. Like Ian Fleming and James Bond. Exactly. Right. Um, I loved all of the shots. Every exterior shot was beautifully crafted. All, so much Macbeth. setup. Um, it was Macbeth that he uh, was also The in. Scottish play. Yes. For we're us. not in the theater. It's fine. But yeah, we're not. Uh, depending on what uh, actors you talk to, you can't say the name period. Okay. Like, like it's... Uh, uh, superstition out the wazoo. So. I don't know. Superstition kind of know what you mean when you say Scottish plays. Like, say, oh, he's, he's Gilmore also... Lockhart in Chamber of Secrets. Okay. Yeah, they like they talk yeah. about. He also actually directed Hamlet in 1996 something. Maybe that's the one I was thinking of. Because, so he's, 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 he's directed multiple. Oh yeah, uh, he's. That's the thing is, is, he's a great director too. That's why he was able to do such a great job with Thor initially. Yeah, he plays the characters really, really well. That's why Tom Hiddleston was cast to begin with, because he wanted him to be that tragic, you know, prince role. Mm-hmm. And he was good as Perot. I think there's something so wonderful. Uh, one of my favorite shots. So they're inside a train, and you figure, how's the camera going to move around inside a train? There's a lot of tight corners there. How are you going to move that? They do this wonderful visual when the person who is murdered in the reference is murdered. And they do it from above, like you're looking in a play set from above, and you're watching the characters move around and interact. You just see the tops of their heads and talking, and they move through the cabins. And it's such an interesting turn. I didn't think they would do that with the camera. I thought they were just going to have to play it really tight the entire time or cheat the set and say it's actually, you know, this big, but it feels bigger. But they just, they play within the constraints. You're like, nope, we can only get this far in, so that's what we're going to do. <laughs> It, look, there's there's actually a lot of those kind of shots uh, where you'll be you'll you're not even really thinking about the shot, and then if you actually take a quick moment and step back, you're like, this shot is freaking amazing. There's like actually one of the first shots of the train. Um, you see Perot walking through, talking with another character, and the entire time it's a like a one shot thing, and the the window panes, the 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 structures between them keep passing through and so you don't see Perot the entire time. Yeah. It's not like where they like cheat it where he goes up to the window to each single window. Uh, there's things that pass by in front of him and pass by in front of the camera. But it's such a wonderful shot because it shows that and it shows every character on the train. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times they're kind of just slightly out of view but just enough you recognize them and it's such a great establishing shot. Oh, did you enjoy the shot near the end where they look like Jesus and his twelve apostles all seated at that long table, all cheated to one side? When he goes to confront yeah, the parlor scene. Know, yeah, we know. But why, why are we, we skipping ahead to the end? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. shots. That's yeah. just shots. That, that says nothing about the end there's, so far. This is just a really cool shot. <laughs> so, uh, so there's the either the cinematographer or the art direction itself is very much thought out in this in this movie. There's some very uh, stunning visual shots. One thing that drew me out of the exterior shots was the CGI. But this movie is not about CGI. The movie is about the physical presence of people. So 
of course, the CGI isn't as good as it could be, but it was very, um, there's a very stylistic choice for everything. It was like, I honestly felt like it, they were trying to be realistic with like the costumes and the set pieces and everything like that, but they weren't like so detailed to the point where like it had like, oh, this person actually wore like the conductor's buttons were actually on the other side. It was like that, those little small details were okay if they didn't miss because you were so focused on the details of the mystery itself that if some little small thing like that that didn't have to do with the mystery, then it didn't matter. So there's there's there was a lot of You mean like how Peter Jackson made every individual piece of chainmail that every soldier wore even though it would never be seen because it was covered by other pieces of armor? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Let's let's go with that. <laughs> Which character was everyone's favorite? Because I feel like there's a huge cast of characters to play with here. I kind of feel we're all going to. Oh, I love I love Daisy Ridley's character. Um, she's just very smart and witty and just refreshing. It's nice to see her in another role because I'm mm -hmm. only familiar with her from the new Star Wars movie, so it's cool to I see. I think her. a lot of us are. A lot of the, like what you were sh saying about the shots. Um, at first, that first scene that Aaron's uh, talking about, I I didn't know if I was frustrated with it at first or what, um, because like the window panels going aside i'm like okay i get the idea but it just kept going on and on but then the characters started popping up and i realized that like within every window you're going through that something is happening there so it is really cool but something i noticed at the beginning of the film is um everything looks like it's in motion there's a lot of uh cameras moving one direction or panning or trucking left and right while objects are going the opposite way um, and it makes a really cool effect. And this is all towards, like, the beginning of the movie um, to show that, like, things are in motion. And then the train comes to a halt at some point, and that, um, you see less of that. So I thought that was cool. But, uh, yeah, it's very artsy like that. Yeah, I can see it getting nominated for some awards for the, the visuals for the whole movie. I heard the movie overall did not get great reviews. Really? Um, I'm how, actually surprised. How recently are we seeing it compared to when it came out? No, no, this this version did not get good reviews. Yeah, so what yeah, I'm saying when did this version come out? Did Last week. Fairly like recently. Two days ago. So okay, so two so two days was enough to say poor reviews. I hate that about modern cinema. I, I, I don't I don't agree with that at all because um and we'll I mean we'll get more into the, the actual characters themselves here in just a little bit, but I really feel like from from a not being exposed to it and b you know i'm a fan of kenneth Branagh. um uh, his one of his best friends in the world is one of my favorite actors um kevin klein uh but like i like kenneth Branagh enough that i would feel like i could call myself a fan but i didn't really i didn't go see this because it was one of his films or that he was starring in it i wanted to see the film itself so him directing it and then him starring in it as well are just, you know, just extra perks. So, but it, I I enjoyed it. I don't understand how it would get uh, fifty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. No, that's yeah. there are much worse films out there that serves a lot of The audience score race. from what I'm showing is sixty two percent. So very similar. So just average reaction. Just an average reaction. That's yeah. Like... I, I I'm pretty surprised by that too. I thought that Branagh was fantastic as Poirot. It, he pulled me into it completely, and I bought in immediately. Didn't see any of his other roles in it. You know, it was just 
a completely yeah, organic performance I, to me. I knew he played Gilderoy Lockhart from the Harry Potter franchise, well, the one movie that he did. <laughs> Supposedly, he filmed another scene for another movie, but it just, or like, they were trying to bring him on, it just never mm-hmm. happened. Uh, but, like, and, you know, with, especially like, uh, uh, Road to El Dorado, none of those characters are the same character, like, for, uh, you know, with anything that Kenneth Branagh has done, but, I loved him, and the 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 witty banter that this movie has too. Do you think it's just because like you can't make a profitable western anymore? You can't make a profitable murder mystery movie. Is there just something about that that's antithetical to what today's movie-going audience wants to see? I don't know. I think... Because uh, I'd rather watch no. this than Christian Bale grunting unintelligibly for two and a half hours on the Wild West, which is what one of these trailers was showing. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I missed that one. I was late to the theater. <laughs> <laughs> um. It's just... It, it was Christian Bale doing Bane voice in a gruff marvel tone on the Wild West trying to escort people. Basically, everyone's going to hell, and it was like... Why? For your Oscar consideration. For your Oscar consideration. Yeah. That's why. Well, let's think of... Um, so, um... I don't think the there's a reason Perot to have Hercule, uh, Hercule Perot. Um, Good pronunciation. He's, uh... He's kind of like Francis Sherlock. Um, Belgians. Belgians. My bad. My, I don't... <laughs> With infinitely better manners. Um, he's, uh... Uh, the thing about the novels is he always gets his guy, like, he always solves a mystery, and he always um, apprehends the thief. And uh, there's a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, I don't want to say like preaching, as it were, about justice and right and wrong. And uh, his his stance on it is there's there's good and there's evil. There's no in between. And um, the minute he said it in this movie, I'm like, you're gonna you're gonna cover something that makes it hard to stick to that. Yeah. <laughs> Foreshadowing, no. But, in a murder um, mystery. <laughs> um so uh so to see this this take on a character um i mean you've seen a hundred people play sherlock um it's you've seen a bunch of people play james bond it's it's one of those situations like where you you know character you gotta do something to make it your own and i thought that was cool he's um i never watched monk but apparently he's like the ocd sherlock so it's like monk and sherlock and um a mustache yeah, Sherlock's compulsions make him unaccessible, godlike, and aloof. Whereas Perot's make him more empathetic. Clearly, he, you know, wants to holiday. He doesn't want to be in another case, but he knows his brain wants the excitement, and he likes being alone. He's never truly happy unless he is alone, and he's only been in love once, and it's taken a toll on him. Which is, gl- I'm glad they never once tried to tie his love interest back into like an overarching plot. Oh, uh, but he had a own. he had a great quote, and that was, "Romance never goes unpunished." Yeah, I wasn't really. That was one of the most remarkable, quotable quotes of the entire thing. Good, bad, nothing in between, and then that that was really good too. But um, it, yeah, that's that's why I think Perot as a character still works even. In this day and age, is because Monk had the OCD tendencies, but wasn't really a detective. Sherlock, especially now in his more modern iteration with Benedict Cumberbatch, is arrogant and an asshole and asks the weird questions that help him solve the cases. But the problem, or not the problem, the the Monk can't isn't a detective. He's not looking how to solve a case. 
he's looking for the uh, discrepancies in why why is this one mirror slightly turned or why is this why is there a scuff mark right here whereas with Sherlock he's looking for the clues he's looking for the breadcrumbs and sometimes that pulls him out of human interaction neither of them are really good at human interaction whereas I would say Perot is so much better at human interaction he hates human interaction but he's better at it so like he's it has to be done yeah like he he's like he says multiple times like I don't like this conversation but I'm going to continue with it anyway so. I think to, not to sidetrack too much but I think that's why psych is refreshing is because he is a Sherlock type that ha is great with social interaction and just very awkward and charismatic. Yeah. I, I love all the little uh, little in jokes though, because they've made they've made references to Monk and to uh, the mentalist. The mentalist. The mentalist sucks, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna go on record I, and say the men I like the actor who plays the mentalist, whatever his face is. Uh, the got but the show is a rip off of Psych. Just FYI. Good, because this podcast is all about. Talk about ripoffs. Well, somewhere, somewhere in the world, Katie, our friend Katie Harrell, is like, I like Aaron a little bit more. So <laughs> my mother is crying because she likes the Mentalist. The Mentalist was all right. Yeah. Um, I like the. I don't like when I watch a sto uh, show. I like to have like an overarching story. So like the like runoffs kind of throw me off. Um, but. Um, him and his wife. The, and the the overall thing, the Red John episodes, I thought were cool. But let's not let's not. I, not I was trying about. not to get us sidetracked. <laughs> so John, you talked about you liked uh, Daisy Ridley's character. I did. Uh, Michael, what was what character stood out to you most? I, I would say Poirot, honestly. I yeah. mean, he he was the star, and he really just drew you to into him. I thought. I, I you know the other characters were great. I thought Josh Gad gave a really good performance too. You know, big departure from some of his others, kind of. But uh... <laughs> you mean this wasn't anything like Olaf? <laughs> Basically, well, an Olaf. Was, uh, there was less retread, snow around, but... so who knows what happens? <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, like I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know it's the easy answer, but honestly, I thought he he did the best job out of anyone in the movie. Nice. I that's that's going to be the hardest thing to say is who gave the best performance because everyone turn in a fantastic performance no one phoned it in mm -hmm. in fact i would say maybe one of the weakest ones was either um uh, willem dafoe or uh God, maybe even leslie odom but no even I, he did a good unfortunately job. i hate to say this like judy dench didn't really impress me yes okay judy dench did a uh, judy dench tried to be regal she but she already is but like, yeah, like I, th I think she was just I don't think Judy Dench is that mean, so I think she had to be meaner than she would be in real life. <laughs> <laughs> like Bronna had to be like, "All right, Judy, you gotta be meaner," but but she she is my helper. No, you've got to treat her like garbage. But she helps. No, treat her like garbage, Dench. Treat her like garbage. <laughs> well, I have a perfect example. All right, so let's go on. So I uh I. So it would it would either be the 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 bad answer of saying everyone, or, or possibly Ron, I guess Perot because I, he yeah he is the main character and yeah he is the director so he's how do I direct myself? But he turns in such a commanding and overall 
great performance. Like there, there was no. I don't remember a scene where I'm like, okay, I'm I pulled out of it. You know, I was every time he was on screen, I felt drawn in. Um, with some of the other ones, like because I've only seen her in Star Wars, Daisy Ridley pulled me out slightly, but she she was able to kind of bring me back in with her her the way she was able to portray this character. So um, I have to give special mention, kind of like you said, uh, to uh, Josh Gad. Um, he he did a Stellar, because we just talked about him in uh, Beauty and the Beast uh, last week. If you want to go listen to that, go check out our SoundCloud. <laughs> what? You shook Nothing. your head. I, I said I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> Moving on. No, people. Why? Oh, no. I enjoyed it. Sorry. Yeah, I, and I oh, said yeah. it many times. Yeah. You are free it's to okay. enjoy that movie. You, it's okay. It's okay. You're you're okay to be wrong. Um, <laughs> but Josh. That's why I said let's move on. Uh, so with but I last week I I talked about how Josh Gad actually seems to me like a better actor than this the performance in Beauty and the Beast portrayed this was this is a prime example that like from now on I'm going to say Josh Gad was great in Murder on the Orient Express you want an example of how good he can act here you go here's example A so um, you know Olaf is just voice acting, which he did a good job, but that's not a true performance. This is so. If it's not Perot, it's Josh Gad. I cannot reveal my favorite character until we get to Spoiler Town, so I will have to refrain at this particular well, moment. I, I mean, are we good to transition to that? Yeah, I, mean, um, I feel so. We're halfway at this point. Is okay. there anything else like yeah, non spoily that we? I mean, we can still about? talk about non spoily stuff. Um, even in the spoil. So from here on, if uh, if we've ruined anything for you, it's your own fault because this is your warning. <laughs> yeah. So spoiler warning now. So uh, the beginning of the movie, uh, when he, it's kind of like a demonstration of uh, his talents. Uh, he pulls like the three suspects, and he's like, "It said someone here is responsible for this." And um, uh, the priest, the rabbi, and the, yeah. and the imam. Yeah. And. Um, <laughs> Wasn't there a joke it, like this? Yeah. And he uh, he reveals that it's the the police inspector, and so it's I called like, that one. I called that one too. That one was a little easy um, because there was only those three suspects, and I'm like, but wait, there's also this guy here. So I called that too, and uh, not foreshadowing, but like a preview of like to to get you in the mindset of um, there's always more to uh, what it's seen here. Look look for the smaller clues or look for the things that aren't being yeah. said it's it's uh, it's not gonna be what you expect it's not gonna be like here's your suspect and here's who did it there's gonna be more to it than that unlike most murder mystery movies this one did not anger me by the lack of information it gave me because when we started on a roll and we started figuring out how all these people are inextricably linked to each other usually that's the point in a murder mystery where i'm like but you didn't tell us information so there's no way i could have deduced that on my own so mm -hmm. i feel cheated in this one, by the time you get to the sixth suspect, you're rolling it. You're like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, keep going. We all are connected. No one is alone here. And that was really cool to see. Uh, it even made me suspect his uh, friend, the guy who does not care a whit about his case. He's like, it <laughs> has to be we're, the We're, we're going to come back to that. Yeah, because yeah. so, I'm like, he's the only one who doesn't have anything to do with anything. Of course it would be him, and I was being stupid at that point. But they really did a good job of letting you roll with it. Like, oh, okay. So this person knew this, and this person knew that. The whole backstory is that Johnny Depp gets stabbed 12 times in the chest, which is great. Which is your first clue, <laughs> yeah. actually, if you're really paying attention. So, such a good clue. Yeah. Such a good clue. They yeah. really did a good job. And then it's clumsy and, like, 
this all looks random. Well, Nothing yeah. looks like it was done on purpose. Doesn't look left-handed or right-handed. Um, but Giant Depp just is, he just too. plays this character who's in deep with the Italian mafia, and he asks uh, Perot to just watch his back, and he's like, you're a despicable man. No, I'm not going to, because there's good and there's bad, and there's nothing in between. Um, so he gets killed in the middle of the night, and Which isn't that what we all really want? That's what I'm saying. We all just really want him to die slowly. I mean, there's there's, I like Johnny Depp. I don't like that he beat the shit out of his wife. Okay, I was about to say, like, what's with all the hate with Johnny Depp? I mean, like, I'm not saying I don't believe it's unfounded. I'm just wondering what is. And then he was like, "Oh, I was method acting." Yeah, be fair. We're not criticizing Johnny Depp because of his performance in Lone Ranger. This is not a Jack Sparrow hate session. This is because of the man personally. So he plays a very good scumbag here. And after he dies, there's a really great uh, shot where they don't show the body for, like, 45 minutes. They just show outside, the doctor going to check on him. So it's kind of like, it's not sensationalized at all. And again, all these things are important because later we go into the cabin and we find these little clues littered around the room, like a pipe cleaner and uh, a broken watch and a handkerchief on the floor and all these little clues which could add up together. And then we start going through and interviewing everyone in the train. Very quickly, we learn about this horrendous case uh, about this family called the Armstrongs. Their daughter was kidnapped. They paid the ransom, but in the end, the daughter was found murdered. And that's, uh, I think that's paying homage to the uh, Lindbergh. Yeah, I think it was definitely yeah. was a reference yeah, to the Lindbergh was, case. Yeah, Lindbergh. Um, the, the mother was pregnant at the time when they found the news and goes into early labor. Both she and the child die, and the husband later commits suicide after writing to Perot, but before Perot can write back, he killed himself out of grief. So that's the whole backstory. This this solved murder, because by the time they figure out who it was, he had run off, and who was it? But Giant Depp's character. And so from there, we start to realize all these crazy twists and turns about how every single person on the train has some connection back to the Armstrong case. And how people aren't who they say they are. Uh, Perros is the best line, all these lives made just for me. Because he's the only one they have to fool, stuck on a train with twelve suspects. Yeah, the the him and the the guy who runs the train, but right. Yeah. Um, they really do play a lot with like the few relationships that are super important. Like Josh Gad was the guy was Johnny Depp's um, lawyer assistant, did everything for him. Uh, he had a butler who did everything else, and they're both really leaned on heavily because they're the closest ones. Uh, and I think that's why. Josh Gad's performance is so good because he's allowed to like extend his chops. Like if they could have made him one of the minor roles, but because he had to play this particular role, I actually thought he wasn't going to be as big of a character as he ended up being. I thought Daisy Ridley was going to be a slightly bigger character than she was because of how the trailers played him up, both of them up a little bit. So it kind of uh, good on the, the the trailer makers, but like yeah, I I thought Josh Gad was character was going to be smaller because. Oh, it's just Josh Gad, but again, he got to show his chops, so. And they do a really good job of laying out little clues, things like the 12 erratic stab wounds. Um, they do a lot of red herrings, which I wasn't, um, they play a reverse racism card, which is, was refreshing, actually. Um, by reverse racism card, I mean the doctor is a black man, and because everyone else is being racist towards him, you immediately rule him out as a suspect because he's a doctor, and everyone else is being evil to him, so you have to assume he's a good well, not, guy. Not everyone, but the, like one one person, like the professor played by Willem Dafoe, uh, actually was like, oh, 
I I want you to never seat me next to this man again. You know, we we have to keep like kind, people. Kind to sit with kind. Yeah, just this real. And then a cool, I like, I, and I like how they didn't cut away. And this is kind of, again, kind of a one shot. He says that. And they're like walking towards the camera a little bit. And Daisy Ridley's character, who you find out is in a relationship with him, uh, says like, you know, that, that, that kind of thinking is archaic. And we shouldn't be doing that. He's like, well, you wouldn't mix your white wine with your red wine because you would ruin both. And she looks at him and she pours it into one glass. She says, I like a good rosé and drinks it. So good. And like if they hadn't played up what it had been before, that would have been a great little subtle thing about like, oh, she likes him. But like it's instead of like jump cutting to like her pouring it in, it's such a little little human continuous thing, so. cut yeah yeah they did a lot of continuous shots and it was very well done like you said to make it so that it didn't seem obvious oh there's the clue yeah yeah you're not and hiding anything in a jump cut we want you to see everything that they're seeing so you have all the same deductive reasoning to figure this out but there were plenty there were plenty of those things too that annoyed me at dirt while it was happening but on the other side of things i'm okay with as as, as i know what the actual outcome is but I like you, there was they played they played way too heavy on like here's a close-up of daisy ridley here's a close-up of her again here's her reaction to something you get, well if well to pay off the red herring before the twist end it all made sense to that point it's like yes of yeah. course and then like it's not over what i'm most concerned about though is aaron's comments to john after this movie was over because I think that's really indicative of how we're going to jump into this final okay. part. Well, so uh, initially I said, Aaron, this is the best murder mystery of all time. I really want to see this movie with you. And at the end of this movie, uh, Aaron stared me down and I was like, okay, what, what are you doing? And he just goes, I hate you. So, um, I, well, I, Do you want to tell them why, Jonathan? I, I, um, okay, yeah, because I know Aaron likes to do his detective work stuff. And I was like, okay, this is the only thing I want to tell you about the movie. Um, and I said at the beginning, you know, uh, Perot all, always figures out the case and catches the guy. This is the only, uh, Perot novel where he does not apprehend the suspect. And, he, and I, I think you said the killer gets away. I said that, yeah, I said I worded it like that because I knew I had to be careful. <laughs> yes. And you, and, I, and again, on the other side of things, you are right. You did, you did not spoil anything with that. However, I still hate you because <laughs> until the credits roll, I'm like, no, they're going to reveal. No, it's going to be. No, it's going to be. Oh, my God. It's not. That's why I stared you down because I was convinced that they're going to say, oh, because of how it actually ended, it's actually this other guy. Because the guy comes up and says there's. Uh, was that a reference to another novel, by the way, Blood yes. on the Nile? Okay. Uh, yes. That's what yeah, I, I heard a couple yeah. people, including John, chuckle at that. So I was like, oh, okay, so it's a reference. But no, I, I thought, like, whenever he said that, that it was going to show that his friend had been murdered and someone assumed his role. And it was going to be that he was actually the one that, like... It, and then actually, my theory was that it wasn't Cassetti who actually killed the Armstrong girl. That he had a partner, and because he just wanted the money, and his partner got too anxious, and he was the one to kill the girl, and Cassetti was trying to bring it back up to him. Well, that's why the whole thing, better watch your back. I thought it was going to come down to that. Uh, that, and again, going with the stupid, the killer actually gets away, I thought, oh, 
it's he missed one little vital clue or didn't think that one thing, and that's still a pretty damn good twist. Well, BT does. There are one there are movies like that I can think of off the top of my head where the movie ends and the bad people go to jail. And then they're just sitting there, and all of a sudden they start laughing because they think about the one thing that they hadn't thought about. They realize, oh my god, it was this. And you just have to laugh at this because life be weird sometimes. I I do appreciate that it wasn't the, yeah, his friend assumed, someone assumed his friend's identity. I'm glad they didn't play it off on that because I was thinking, you know, the twist would be if they just said, yeah, you all related, but it's actually this guy has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Who did it? Don't yeah. they make that joke in uh, Murder by Death? Like, you... Because uh, in every single one of the reveals, they, like, they go back and poke giant holes into them. Well, that's the point of Clue. Clue is, an, is a loving nod to the ending of Murder on the Orient Express, where every single one of them killed someone. True. Yeah. So, so, oh, that's the, the big spoiler, by the way, because we've been beating around. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Everybody did it. Yeah. They were all murderers. Yeah, it, like the thing that Liz said at the beginning with, or near the beginning with the 12 apostles sat at the, the table with the person in the middle being the mastermind, if you will. So. Ah, see, I would have thought they would have put him on the edges. I didn't think about it that way, but that shot is great. No, that means uh, my favorite uh, character is the mastermind. It turns out they all had a part to play. The woman who brought them all together was Daisy's grandmother, who was so distraught over the death of her granddaughter and then her daughter and her son-in-law. It wrecked her life. It ruined her. The sister of the daughter uh, fell into a barbiturate addiction, barbiturate addiction <laughs> ruined her life. And that's the whole point of the movie is that so many fractured souls. He even says at the beginning that yeah. only a fractured soul can commit a crime, can commit the crime of murder. It was funny because that line brought me to Harry Potter. And yeah. I was like, I bet J.K. Rowling... Read that and came up with Horcruxes when she was sense. like that. It's it's such a nice little nod too. Like having been uh, having or being a Harry Potter fan before even watching this, it's such a cool like. Oh my goodness! So my favorite character was actually Michelle Pfeiffer. I really enjoyed her because role. of the ending. No, though, right? like her the she plays the part well that's the thing if you think about it they were all lying the entire time so they all were great actors as actors they were acting within their acting roles they had to play twice many levels and she had reception <laughs> she had three levels to play i think you know the ending makes her entire transition worth it because she is played off as this silly woman trying to get a man and it's like what is and this character doing is. here Yes, she's trying to get her man. She's husband hunting, or rather, man hunting. She is man hunting. Um, the greatest sport of all. The commitment man. to it. She she gets the doctor to stab her in the back, so as to throw suspicion off. And at the, that end scene, though, man, so crazy, because Perot basically says, you all deserve to have free lives, but I cannot lie. You will have to kill me to keep me silent. And she goes for the gun, you think she's going to kill Perot, and then she tries to kill herself because she can't live with it anymore, and the gun is, has blanks in it, and she just collapses. It's really powerfully delivered. The, and their, their reaction to her about to shoot herself, like, I felt that was genuine. Yeah. I felt like none of the actors knew that was what was going to happen. They actually, like, like, oh, no, 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 that's not the scene, you know? I, like, I genuinely felt like all the actors said that. I like that, that idea about it. I felt it was a little trite that 
everyone had something to do with them. But they were but... all in on it. So it's they, not like they were more... there right. If they were there right happenstance. Yeah. yeah that would have been like. Yeah, I think it would have been more trite for them all to be so interconnected with this Armstrong family in America and all be on the same train. And then, oh no, it just was this one guy. <laughs> See, like, and then, that would have been way more ridiculous. <laughs> like, if that had happened and it wasn't a overall plan by one of them, it had been an overall plan by someone else. I can still see that. Well, so. in Clue, it was they were never they weren't accomplishing with any of the others. They just kept killing people for their own dirty secrets. Yeah, they'd each gone into his room while he was dying, and each Communism. stabbed him once and left the room <laughs> without realizing that the person had done it. See, that's, that, I thought that may have been a solution too. <laughs> so, like almost any of the possible solutions could have happened too. So, uh, but you know, you know, as they say. Communism is a red herring. So, <laughs> so, I guess I have a question for you guys then. Is this the one that has the controversial t uh, original title? The Ten Little... No, that's And no, Then There Were None. And Then There Were None. Okay. I actually have my... I found my Agatha Christie anthology. And um, I, I haven't read in a long time because, like, it's difficult to be a nursing student and read something that's not a textbook. Um, <laughs> but uh, I really want to maybe pick it up over the holidays and... Uh, uh, read us some more of those. Go for audiobooks. I found that a great way to get through books when I don't have the time to read. Or, you know, a podcast. Oh. But he <laughs> must actually read the book, not some Mooney's interpretation on it. Speaking of which. <laughs> <laughs> Do I like the, the reveal, the twist, the, the actual what happened? Yes. Is it as, as satisfying as I was hoping it would be? Absolutely not. It was good i'm not taking away from it at all but it is not 100 percent satisfying to me I, I, as a treatise on the human condition and the misery that one death can impact on so many people i found it very satisfying for conclusion perhaps not from a murder mystery perspective that's what I'm but from, from the theme of the movie which is that there is no black and white yeah i mean i can see maybe where where Anne's saying like it's not like some murder mysteries where you look, as soon as they reveal the killer, you go look back and there's all these like amazing flashbacks you can think of where you're like, oh, obviously, now it makes sense. And instead it's like, oh, well, yeah, of course it makes sense if everybody did it. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, so that, that makes the most sense. But, like, uh, truth be told, like, as a murder mystery, it is not satisfying. As a story, 100% satisfying. <laughs> uh, it, my my tune absolutely changes on that. So it's like so. What is the movie I, meant to be then, and why did it not connect with audiences? That I think that's where the disconnect is. Why the critics are scoring it lower than they should, because it's played off, especially by the man who told me to watch it in the first place. Looking at you, John. Uh, <laughs> that it's a great murder mystery. It is a great mystery and a great story but it is not a great murder mystery i think that's where the disconnect is it is a good movie that people need to watch especially for the visuals and the acting but the overall story is unexpected and it works so the, so there's some disconnect but not as much as the critics are giving i don't know it's like he was always going to solve it that's what he does he solves things so the only thing you can challenge is not whether he's going to solve it or not but whether his preconceived notions about the world are going to change that's the growth the growth isn't will he catch the man it's will he 
come to a different life interpretation. Well, if that's the case, I mean, take characters that, like I was mentioning before, like James Bond and uh, Sherlock Holmes. Um, they're all very static characters because they're they're set. In this, you wouldn't say he's really a static character; like he changes. So there is character growth in it. And I think that's cool. I and I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think the the, the question I have, I don't know because I haven't read the books, is where is this in the order of Agatha Christie mysteries? Like, is this after she's done a few Poirot mysteries and she wanted to try something different with the character, and that's why so. we got this? Isn't Miss Marple a, a Christie character as well? I believe so. Okay. We only know about that because of Murder by Death. Which... Yeah, and that's and that's what I'm trying to think because like the Miss Marple character, in, it's like you're secretly blah blah blah, um, and then like but the Perot, it's like he noticed one little tiny detail and didn't say anything during his actual investigation, like the whole thing with the the dressing gown thing, which we saw as an audience, but it it was never really addressed until closer to the end. Mm -hmm. I can see where that complaint is and or the the parody of it is, but in the in this one here, they don't really play on it as much as I was thinking they would. Well, I think then before we give our rating, let's uh hear from our guests their final thoughts on the movie and what they would rate or recommend the movie. So, I guess the problem with a murder mystery um is you can't really rewatch it without you know, already knowing the ending. Um, I think I never would have called the ending if I didn't already know what it was. The When I saw the old version, I never would have called the ending. Um, I like that. Um, so, um, per, but it's really like a, a one and done. So, like, I would not purchase this movie. Um, I think that's, that's part of how my rating system goes. Um, what do I, am I bound to any weird uh no you can do whatever scale. you want you can okay. say uh, you, thumbs up or thumbs down i mean i mean yeah watch it i'd recommend it i'd uh recommend uh seeing it i will i wouldn't go see it in theaters again um i think and that's my rating is i would see it in theaters again um i will buy this movie on blu-ray i will red box this movie if this movie's on tnt i'll watch it <laughs> <laughs> or don't see this movie um so i guess that's the five so i guess um uh, I would red box this movie if I were to watch it again with somebody that hadn't seen it. So I'm going to give it, uh, out of five, I'd give it like a three. Yeah, I have to say I have a similar feeling about it. Because uh, it really is the kind of movie that you watch once and you get it and it's great. But after that, it loses so much watching again. I mean, you, there's definitely value maybe in watching it again to see some of the things you missed, the clues and stuff. But just, in, you know, for me, it's like, watching something like Seven again, or Sixth Sense. Once you know the end, you know, it definitely, it, it, it can spoil it a bit. So, um, yeah, to me, out of five, I'd, I would still probably give it a four, because I think it's, I, I, I maybe value the, the initial viewing more than extra viewings, but I think it's a, it's a one and done. All right, so our guests give a combined score of seven out of ten for Murder on the Orient Express. Aaron? Um, yeah, like, I've, I've, I've seen those movies, uh, that it's kind of a one and done, and there's actually different movies for me that are one and done, there's other ones that I can watch over and over again, but have, having the mindset that I do, and also being slightly, uh, you know, and giving a little bit more credit back to John, uh, being slightly misled throughout the whole thing, I was analyzing almost every single scene that I could. I was like, I'm looking for details. I'm thinking in the very first shot, like, 
do the people accidentally spell out the name of the killer as like a subtle <laughs> foreshadowing? Does does the eggs have something to do like how like they're two different heights and there's actually two different heights of people and it's like oh my goodness they didn't think about that the whole time like I am, I I you 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 have no idea the first time I ever watched the Prestige halfway through the movie I'm like this and then about twenty steepled, minutes later steepled hands yeah, two face. And then like, two, at home. and then it clicked, and I'm like, I know what I know what it is. And I lean over Liz, I'm like, if I say at the end that I called it, you know, here now that I called it, and I I didn't call it exactly, but I called it. Only and he, he does that for yeah. a lot of movies. Yeah, uh, like forty five minutes in, he's like, oh, I know. Only once have I called something before you. And that was Gilmore Girls: A Year in the Life's Ending. You you absolutely called only that one thing, I and it's because that's not because I'm a deductive person. That's just because my insane knowledge of Gilmore Girls. But I I am a very I love solving mysteries, puzzles, riddles, that kind of stuff. I love that 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 feeling of accomplishment and like I freaking did it. And that's why like my you know area of work. Whenever I figure something out, I get such a sense of joy. Um, so having that kind of mindset and watching this movie the first time yeah i'm analyzing everything if i were to watch it again which i think i would but if i were to watch it again i would try to take a step back and enjoy the experience because this one it like because a lot of times people like they sit back and enjoy the experience the first time and then analyze it the second time which is a much more natural flow of things i think i would be slightly opposite on that one so um because of how I'm not 100% satisfied with the story or the disconnect in it, but the visuals and the acting are so good, and the actual mystery itself is so good and so inter interwoven and everything like that, um, I do, do have to say 3.5. John, you uh, said at the beginning that Murder on the Orient Express is one of the great mysteries of all time. The, one of the great yeah, mysteries. I think it's just classic. It's a classic murder mystery. And that may even be the case of the 70s movie that you watched uh, a couple years ago. I would say that this retelling of Murder on the Orient Express is much more, entirely so, about the humanity of the victims and the just the awful personal nature of a violent crime. Much more so than a mystery. The mystery, to me was background the entire time for just these characters who will not stop lying, who have things to hide, who are all at fault and yet somehow all innocent. So to me, and, and how that reflects upon the growth that our main character experiences, unlike other detective stories where the detective is a static who experiences no growth and is just there to solve the mystery, this interpretation feels much more about the people than the murder. Uh, now I understand that maybe why some critics and audiences didn't like it because they're like, I want to, you know, give me a good mystery. I want to see it that way. You can go read the book. It is a great mystery. Um, and you can, you know, parse your clues out that way. But for me, just the emotional racking of it, very quickly on for this Armstrong family who we never meet except in flashback. And I supremely connected with them because of the way that every person on the train is a victim just like they were. I knew I knew that there was going to be like people connected every time they get brought up. I thought that the 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 princess's handmaiden. I thought that was secretly the Armstrong woman that she actually survived, and like 
and like that was secretly her or that the like the woman was actually like I like I kept thinking that someone was gonna actually be one of the Armstrong people or like that actually Johnny Depp's character was actually the Armstrong character and I thought he was Cassetti instead or something like that. I'm glad they didn't delve into absurdity in that way. All of those seem like fun twists for a murder mystery, but they all seem to be absurd propagations of the idea as opposed to what would naturally happen. All these people would be hurt and drawn together and want to take revenge on the man who harmed so many. That would be the true, and that's, it's, a, it's the most logical and thereby the least surprising fun one to showcase off at the end. No, it wasn't an invisible man. It was just a guy who had a key. No, it wasn't uh, a disappearing weapon. It was uh, an icicle. So all of these things, like, it's not, <laughs> I'm glad they didn't jaunt into that. It seemed very grounded and real. And for the cinematography, for the acting, for the greatness of having all this take place on a train on the middle of nowhere, which is a great setup for any kind of murder mystery or introspection upon the human soul, I would give it four out of five. So for your two normal hosts, that is a 7.5. Out of 10. So we liked this movie. We liked it more than the critics or other audiences did. And I definitely think it deserves a watch far more than some other schlock. See, like, Boo! A Medea Halloween is out at the same time. And I bet you that it gets better ratings than this one. And that is pure dreck. Oh, so, we slap that on it? Oh, no, let's not slap oh, no. that on it. But any, any movie's better than a Tyler Perry movie, in my personal opinion. No. <laughs> I uh, have the, to disagree. The shot for shot remake of Psycho is is not, but I most... have to disagree because Medea movies actually typically have a layer of depth that you would not expect. Like Medea's Family Reunion, I actually watched that a long time ago, and it was deeper than I expected it to be. It was still oh. Tyler Perry schlock, but six percent Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> my heart well oh, babe remember we were the ones who saw grown-ups and got all nostalgic because it was supposed to be camping without realizing this is a really stupid movie <laughs> yeah i actually like grown everyone disses on grown-ups grown-ups too is not good but grown-ups <laughs> reminds me because i go camping with my family uh almost every year at the labor day weekend and pretty much it's all the guys know each other from air force and they all get around and they drink and have fun <laughs> And and then they bring their kids and their wives along. That's my that's my Labor Day weekends pretty much. So that's I mean like I kind of have to defend myself a little bit, but also you know if you don't like it, <laughs> it's like obviously we have different opinions from everyone else. Yes, that's why we have a podcast. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, we all agree it's worth a watch. Uh, if you want to see a beautiful adaptation of a really good murder mystery with compelling characters and beautiful cinematography. I think this is and absolutely to do. And, and, like, and like we said before, the acting is yeah. just um, is superb. You know, Kenneth Branagh did a great job overall. He has the most piercing blue eyes. Yeah. Was he yeah. wearing yeah. contacts? Because he's got Frodo Gilden, little blue eyes. Gilderoy Lockhart. So beautiful. So piercing. Yeah. They, they cast him perfectly then. <laughs> and he his cast, mustache. He, ca he cast himself perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> With his ridiculous mustache holder. That, oh, yeah, the mustache holder was amazing. That, that was, was the best. To that. that was the best joke. I'm like, the first joke was like a camel poop joke. I'm like, oh, no, please, no more poop jokes. And then they make the visual gags of... And then, like, he steps in both feet, so it's the same consistency. I'm like, okay, you've 
you you pull it out, but no more. No fart jokes, no more poop jokes, no no peeing jokes. No, just they <laughs> they actually they that was as close to that as possible, and it it's very funny that they they were the witty the banter that they got away with or not got away with that they, they inserted into this was way more than I was expecting. Yeah. Like there were times like I was genuinely like laughing out loud, not just chuckling. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, that's hilarious. Yeah, it was funny. It was super funny. Witty, funny, beautiful, awesome. Uh, thank you guys, yes. Michael and John, for going to the movies with us on our awesome movie passes. If you don't have a movie pass, get one. It pays for itself. <laughs> Free plug for movie pass. Free plug for movie pass. Uh <laughs> Uh, I'm really glad that we all got to sit down and talk about it and share our opinions, as is the want of the podcast. Yes. So we deliver. Um, Next week, we're hoping to look at doing a live video if we can. We're, we're There's some logistics that we're trying to figure out. but If you've been following us on Talk Blindly, which John is also a part of, you know we do the live videos for that on Wednesday nights, and it's super fun to hear your comments. So I think we might steal that idea and try it ourselves. <laughs> and we've got we've got a couple ideas of what we're going to do. And then we've got, actually, because we're supposed to do yet another podcast this week. We're supposed to guest on. And then I've got an idea for another podcast for the two of us. So it's, oh, we've good got... good gravy. Our life is podcasting now, apparently. We should be rolling in the dough by this point, right? So many podcasts. That's how it works, right? No, it's the sponsorship. Art, so We're writing, open for sponsorships, by the way. Podcasts. <laughs> All money makers, absolutely, no question about it. <laughs> if Kevin Smith has me believe it can can do it, believing that I can do it, I believe we can do it. So, <laughs> um, but yes, we're so be sure to look on that, like, share, subscribe. What is your favorite uh, murder mystery or even mystery movie? Uh, we'd love to hear that. Email it, comment below, comment on SoundCloud, um, all that good stuff. So, Michael, what's your favorite murder mystery book, yeah. movie, episode of a TV show? Mm. Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is a bit is also a comedy. It's Clue. It's, yeah, it's it's amazing. Let's be real. <laughs> um, but I mean, if you're talking about books that I've read, um, I can't remember a specific one. It's been a while since I've read them. But the Dresden Files in general are a fantastic nice. series of mystery novels. If you love a good urban fantasy uh, tale, also nice. Um, mine would be A Study in Scarlet. I I, I might actually have to say The Westing Game. It's not necessarily a murder mystery, but it is definitely a mystery. And it keeps you guessing until the end. And I, this one of the few times I did not call it at all. Like I was so, I was so lost the entire time. And it's, it's a great book. It's a little bit more for children, kind of young teen-ish age. But it is so good. It is so good. I would recommend either the Egypt game or the Ruby Raven which aren't part of series or anything else, but they're both written really super well, and they're from my childhood, and I will, I am a sucker for anything that takes place in or near or around Egypt. So Except for uh, well, Battle of the Gods, or no, no, not Battle of the Gods, the, uh, the one where uh, Gerard Butler plays uh, an Egyptian god. Yeah, no gods in Egypt, no Exodus. No, I meant books, sorry. I, I did not mean terrible white cast movies. No. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap this thing up. Uh, thanks again, Jonathan. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks again, Michael. Thanks for having me on. And uh, to the, in the background, and I don't know if you guys heard her all during this, but thanks. I lost my voice. <laughs> we actually picked that up, so it you you you're regaining some. <laughs> Allie was our silent audience. She was doing the faces 
Those masks, the happy masks, the sad masks, <laughs> nodding and pointing in agreement when we said points she liked. Uh, but uh, thank you guys so much. We'll see you again next week. Until then, she's been Elizabeth. He's been Aaron. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea.